Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX is The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business, presented to you by the Ad-Free Shows Network and Podcast Seed. I'm John Alba, joined as I am every single week on this podcast by the man of the hour himself, Mr. Eric Bischoff. And Eric, we are live today, pal. We're live with all of our friends here on the Ad-Free Shows Network, off the Ad-Free Shows Network on the 83 Weeks YouTube. It's a party here on Strictly Business. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, John, but right off the bat, I have a very special announcement. Ooh. We don't have an announcement. <laughs> Would you say it was a huge announcement? Yeah, it was a huge announcement that we don't have a huge announcement. Mm. You know. Hey, David Kelly. David Kelly is with us here live at freeshows.com. Thanks for joining us, Dave. If you have any questions while we're doing this, uh, yeah. feel free to uh, chime in. We're free balling, having a good time here on Strictly Business this week. We're going to talk some of the top wrestling stories from this past week and react to them accordingly. If you're not subscribed to ad-free shows, guys, make sure you go ahead and do so now. Adfreeshows.com. You'll get access to Strictly Business, bonus content, and all the other great podcasts under the Conrad Thompson umbrella. Uh, plus 83 weeks, of course, early access to that. Subscribe to Strictly Business on the 83 Weeks YouTube channel, on the podcast stream, wherever you get your podcasts, and at 83weeks.com. Uh, I don't want to waste any more time, Eric, because we're going to have a lot of great spirited conversation, and we encourage you to get in on the debate by commenting below, my friends. Let's get to it, Eric. Our top story uh, comes out of last night's AEW Dynamite, which, by the way, we just got word uh, about 10, 15 minutes ago, uh, they were up pretty big this week for Dynamite, numbers-wise, over a million. And it's that TBS orders its first new unscripted series of 2023 with the green light of AEW All Access. It's a reality show that AEW has been producing for some time. It's going to premiere in March directly following AEW Dynamite. The press release says that it will feature the likes of Adam Cole, Dr. Britt Baker, Sammy Guevara, Ty Conti, the Young Bucks, Soraya, Wardlow, Eddie Kingston, along with AEW CEO, GM, and head of creative, Tony Khan. And one of the most interesting parts of this press release, Eric, was that Turner President Jason Sarlanis 
said that AEW has such an amazingly loyal and dedicated fan base that brings in more than 4 million viewers to TBS every Wednesday night, he claims. Quote, with all access, we are bringing that incredible audience a whole new way to experience the wrestling universe they love. We have a powerful partnership with Tony Khan and AEW with this new series. We are expanding the franchise in a way that invites viewers inside the world of wrestling like never before, end quote. I guess off the bat there, Eric, that's got to be positive news for AEW in terms of what could be next with TV rights coming up, I'd have to imagine. Uh, you know, it's an indicator for sure. And I've talked about this before. I, I think the fact that uh, TBS decided to program Power Slap uh, adjacent, you know, following uh, AEW was a good sign. They're trying to program that night around an anchor uh, program, in this case, AEW. That's always a good indication. I think making a commitment to an unscripted series is another good indication. I don't think people should look too much beyond that um, other than it being a good indication. You know, the, the proof is going to be, as they say, in the pudding. Um, let's see how that show does. It's going to be interesting because, uh, you know, people that have never successfully produced a non-scripted show, reality show, Think, think that it's, oh, it's just a matter. We're just going to follow people around with cameras and, you know, get some really good stuff. And it's not that, you know, formatting becomes an even more critical element when it comes to non-scripted. Uh, building a story for the, the characters and making sure that those characters resonate with your audience in an unscripted environment where there is no action. Now, I don't know what the show's going to look like, but typically an unscripted series like this wouldn't involve a lot of wrestling action. But who knows? We'll see. But it, 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 this it, sometimes producing a non-scripted show like this, uh, a doc follow is the category that this would probably fall under, is even more reliant upon great storytelling. And as of late, there's been no indication from AEW that they have any real handle on continuity or storytelling now i i pretty sure i know the showrunner for this show my guess is it's the same showrunner that was used for cody and brandy and i won't mention his name in case i'm wrong uh but if indeed it's the same showrunner he knows he understands what it's going to take to make a good non-scripted series and how to tell stories the question will then become how difficult is it going to be for this person, any showrunner, how difficult is it going to be for that person to get the type of support and cooperation, not only from the talent, but from AEW, that's going to allow him or her, whoever that showrunner is, to really focus on building great story. Because if it's an if it's if there's not a commitment from the talent as well as from AEW to really focus on stories and the drama and, and do it in a way that builds throughout the hour and from episode to episode in a very compelling, progressive way, this will be another, this will be another non-scripted series that we won't hear about again after the first season, but we'll look, we'll, we'll find out. I don't want to be negative about it. Sure. The showrunner that, that, uh, that ran, um, 
Roads to the Top was a, was a, is a, is was if it's a, the same guy a great showrunner, great showrunner with a lot of experience. Uh, but again, the real challenge with a show like this is going to be getting everybody on the same page. That I think is going to be if the show is successful, then the showrunner along with the talent and AEW have made a commitment to do just that. If it's not successful, it's probably going to be one of the reasons why. The press release indicates that the show is produced by Shed Media in association with AW and activists, artist management, executive producers are Tony Khan, Dan Pearson, Lisa Shannon, Sam Burns, Alan Bloom, Bernie Cahill, and John Kanak. So I'm not sure if any of those names yep. resonate. Yeah, Sam, Sam is the guy that I know. My daughter, Montana, is the one that brought Sam. My daughter was involved early, early on in developing uh roast this up. She worked for shed media for about seven or eight years. She's no longer there. Um, and my daughter was the one responsible for bringing Sam in as the showrunner. So S- Sam is good. He's capable, He's more than capable. He's very good at it. Again, it's going to come down to support cooperation and uh, we'll see. What do you make of that 4 million viewers number that was touted in that press release? Hmm. What's the best way for me to react to that bullshit? <laughs> Press releases are nothing more than marketing tools, and and that's exactly what this was. You've heard the the, the phrase, you know, numbers lie and liars use numbers. I'm not calling anybody a liar here, but I think the extent of exaggeration is precariously close to to being misleading, at the very least. Well, look, it, you you can't really look at it as as a bad thing, as far as I see. You're expanding content. At the end of the day, that's something that's going to give. No, it can be a bad thing. I disagree with you. If you're doing a piss poor job, sure, okay, presenting that additional content and it's a letdown, and and people are you know that you build up their anticipation with this important announcement, which I think came off horribly, by the way, um, in typical Tony Khan fashion. Um, overstate under deliver, you know, that's been the pattern that we've seen now for a while. Um, but expanding the content can be a bad thing. If, if, if you do a bad job of it. Is that the correlation you get? Cause I've, I've heard you mention stuff like that from like thunder when they expanded, when they weren't really quite ready. That's a matter of over, that was oversaturation. That's not the same thing okay. at all. Um, what I'm talking about is, you know, you're, you're going to bring these characters, you're giving them, you know, just read that press release, which builds up anticipation. That's what press releases are for. They're marketing tools. That's all they are. And now you've, you've created this really great press release. That's the easy part. Now you have to deliver. And if you under deliver and you get people excited about something and they tune in and go, eh, this is not that great. That's where it's bad. You know, mm. Thunder's, Thunder had issues, but it wasn't that issue. Yeah. I, I, again, that's just me. Picking the brain here of Eric Bischoff, something I get to do every single week on Strictly Business. In just a little bit, I'm going to pick Eric's brain on what went down at Elimination Chamber with Sami Zayn and some of the ratings that come with that. So make sure you're tuning in uh, throughout the course of so the that's a, and That's a big one, John. I'm glad you brought that up right away at the head of the show because I think there's a lot of discussion You know, in between our last uh, call that you and I were on, a business call for a new sponsor for Strictly Business, by the way, that we're both very excited about. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking a lot more about them next week. Um, but um, I, in between that call and sitting down to record this, I, you know, checked my social media and, 
you know, of course, Dave Meltzer came out and, you know, was, was pretty um, vociferous about his opinion that Sammy should be the one uh, headlining WrestleMania uh, in there with Roman. And he gave all of his reasons why I, I, I disagree. I don't strongly disagree. I, I think that, you know, there, there's a case for that, but, of course, now Dave is coming out with a, a statement that's saying WWE is very concerned about Sammy's popularity going into uh, WrestleMania. Number one, I don't know who Dave thinks he's talking to, um, but I doubt anybody that really mattered would express that opinion to Dave Meltzer. The only people that talk to Dave Meltzer are people that use him because he's a useful idiot and people know that he'll go out and publish whatever it is they want Dave to publish because that's what useful idiots do. That's the only reason they're important to anybody. There's nobody giving Dave inside information that really matters unless of course they're doing it to mislead him. Well, my gut says there's somebody pretty high up in that bloodline story that talks to Dave Meltzer on a somewhat regular basis, or at least did at one point, but uh, we can, we can dive into that uh, as we get into the Sammy discussion later on here in this episode of Strictly Business. Uh, on the AW front, uh, a million-plus viewers for this. Do you think that might have had some tie-in with the huge announcement promotion that was given prior to this episode, potentially? I hope not. I hope that's not the case. I hope that people tuned in because they're really getting more interested in the pay-per-view that's coming up March 5th. What's the name of that pay-per-view, by the way? Revolution. Revolution. So I'm hoping that as you get closer to a pay-per-view, you're building more interest in the product. It would be unfortunate if that 20 some odd percent increase is due to the fact that people were tuning into an, in anticipation of this important announcement, because if that was the case, those, that same 20% are going to leave and they won't be back next week. Well, and there was also the report that, uh, we're going to be seeing Forbidden Door 2 this year as well. Uh, Spectrum Cable has it listed for the end of June, I believe. So uh, that was one of their most successful pay-per-views to date. So I assume that we'll be seeing that again with more cross-collaboration with New Japan Pro Wrestling. And now New Japan has lifted a lot of those crowd rules. So hopefully we can heat up that product and, and see what will come uh, from the end of that. Again, guys, if you've got some comments, uh, drop them in the chat. We'll, we'll be sure to read some uh, as we go on throughout the course of this episode. Real quick here, I just want to get this out of the way because we did get a super chat from West Britannicus. He said, happy Thursday, Uncle Eric. Uh, you were sent home in the fall of 1999, just before Halloween Havoc. What was your main event plan for Starcade 99? Oh, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't. <laughs> My God. <laughs> that, would be, that would be like me asking uh, West Britannicus, you know, what he had for dinner on September 10th, 1999. I'm I just couldn't tell you. That's okay. Well, like I said, guys, we want to make sure uh, if, if you are commenting, we appreciate all your comments, but uh, strictly business for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, we really try to stick to the business of the business on this podcast and talk about something sometimes in the periphery of the business or that involve periphery characters of the business. And one of those things, Eric, that we did see this past week was the relaunch 3.0 of the XFL. Third time we've given this a shot, this time with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, uh, leading the way on this. Uh, I watched several of the games. I thought the games were actually pretty entertaining, and there were some very innovative television concepts involved. But unfortunately, uh, not great news for viewership here. 
the first four XFL telecast windows declined at least 50% in viewership from the equivalent windows of the previous XFL launch three years ago. Uh, the inaugural game, this according to Sports Media Watch, was uh, it averaged 1.54 million viewers, down 54% from the inaugural game on the same network just three years ago. So not super encouraging numbers out of the gate there, Eric, but you know Dwayne Johnson, at least on a professional level, uh, this guy doesn't take on a lot of projects if he's not ready to go all in on it. Do you have any impressions seeing those numbers there for the first time? No, other than um, I, I think, you know, comparing a number today to a number three years ago is a little bit difficult. I mean, it's interesting. It's a data point. I, I don't know that you can put a lot of stock into that, number one. Number two, my... Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It, it brings to my mind the question of how much promotion did, did the XFL launch get? I think, and again, I, I don't remember, so I'm not making a statement. I'm asking a question. How much promotion did WWE give XFL and, and the networks with it uh, three years ago compared to what it received, what Dwayne and company received on, on this premiere? I'd be looking closely at that. Obviously the synergy between WWE and, and Vince McMahon's version of the XFL was probably a little bit different than what we have now, but I don't, I don't know, but that would be the, that's something that I would want to analyze if I was working on Dwayne's team is, you know, what did we get for promotion? Was it significantly less? Was it equal to, was it more? That's, that's an important part of the equation. I look at also, if we're trying to draw a parallel here to wrestling, I, I somewhat look at it as what is the appetite for more football content? Similarly with wrestling, there's so much pro wrestling content out there. What is the appetite to consume more and more? Tony Khan purchases Ring of Honor and he's relaunching it and they're literally having TV tapings this coming week and they're going to be launching it to air on Honor Club. Is the appetite there for more than that? And and I worry when I see something like this for football, which is an institution in the United States, uh, on the heels, nonetheless, of the NFL season wrapping up, uh, maybe this is an indication that the appetite might not be there as much as some people thought there were. You know, I thought it's interesting you bring that up, John. And you, look, you're, you're way more tied into the world of sports than I am. I'm a very, very passive sports fan. Um, I, I'll, I, I get into the NFL towards the end of the season. You know, I'll get into baseball towards the end of the season. Same with basketball. I'll watch the playoffs. Uh, 
But I've always, even early on when the XFL was first announced, very first time, I, I couldn't see it because I think culturally we've been conditioned for the most part to look at fall as football. Winter, spring, basketball, late spring, throughout the summer, baseball, and then we start over again. And, of course, you've got hockey in there as well and other sports. But we're, we're kind of a seasonal sports culture here. And I all, always, from, from day one, I thought, man, is there really an appetite, to your point, for more football after the tremendous buildup, the promotion, just the event, the cultural phenomenon that the NFL has become and the Super Bowl has become. Is there really that much of an audience for more football? I or have people moved on? I I don't know the answer to that. I know for me, but again, I'm I'm not the I'm not the audience. I'm not a hardcore football fan. I don't, you know, play fantasy football and all that other stuff. And maybe there's enough of those people out there to support it. But I think for the most part, culturally, we're just we've moved on from football. Mm-hmm. You know, we're giving ourselves a break now for football. We'll start getting excited about football again come summertime, maybe, you know, draft season or whatever. But for the most part, we're not going to really, most people aren't going to really engage or have any interest in football until it's, you know, even even preseason is kind of eh. But once the season starts, everybody's in. So we'll see. Do you think fatigue is something that sets in for a lot of people when there's just too much of one thing? Because I want to draw a correlation to wrestling here. There's wrestling on TV every single night of the week now. I think fatigue can be it. You know, that's, you know, the one advantage that wrestling has that sports doesn't is they have control over the drama. You know, you have natural drama in sports. You've got trades, you've got draft season, you've got, you know, Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on the case, you've got news, you've got personality issues, you've, you've got a lot of things that, that you can talk about that are related to any specific sport that are considered drama or backstory. But with wrestling, you have the ability, much like episodic television, if you're good at it, you have the ability to keep that audience engaged 52 weeks a year. You know, football is still a legitimate sport. It is not a legitimate drama. Doesn't mean there's not some drama in it. Of course right. there is. Right. It involves human beings. So therefore there's going to be drama involved. But for the most part, you know, it traditional sport doesn't have that advantage. Now, the advantage that traditional sport have that wrestling doesn't is people bet on it. You know, the I, I think the the growth of sports betting in the United States has done nothing but increase interest in those products. Um, and it's been a good thing in terms of mm. keeping the audience engaged in, in getting that hardcore, you know, sports fans, something even more to talk about at a bar over dinner or if you're engaged in, you know, some of the, the sites like DraftKings or, or FanDuel or, 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 or the multitude of others that are out there. But wrestling, you know, you, you have the ability to tell stories first and foremost and provide great action. So I, I think that's a distinct advantage for wrestling and why oversaturation doesn't affect 
mm-hmm. professional wrestling, as long as it's episodic and compelling and keeps people coming back each and every week. I want to pose a hypothetical to you before we wrap this. And I'm not sure if you've ever been asked this before. If you had gone over to WWE, say, in 2001 to work for Vince McMahon as he's launching the XFL for the first time, and he says to Eric, I don't want, to be, I don't want you to be involved with wrestling right now. I'm launching this football league, and we're going to try to be real innovators in presentation and television presentation, and I want you to be a part of the big team that's heading this effort. Is that a challenge you would have been up for? Probably, because it, it, that would create unique opportunities to try something new and different. You know, one of the things that Vince McMahon and the XFL did early on that we still see today, right, even in the NFL, is some of the unique camera angles, mm-hmm. you know, that, that never existed before the XFL. Much like there were many things that didn't exist before Nitro that currently exist to this day. As a result of Nitro, same could be said for early XFL and some of the very cool camera angles and experimentation in the way the game was covered. That was a fun opportunity for whoever was involved in it, I'm sure. Likewise, I think my first thought, you know, even as you started that question and I could kind of tell where it was going was what would I have done? I would have gotten to know those players because I surely, nobody cares about the teams. Nobody knows anything about them in order to care for them. They're just names. There's there's sports names. There's no loyalty in the local market. There's no history. There's no backstory. There's no rivalries. There's none of the things that traditionally makes sports work, right? Um, But there is an opportunity to get to know the players. There is an opportunity, much like you see on, this is going to be a bad example, but it'll it'll give people a chance to pick this apart. But I'm, I'm going to go back to The Voice. It's a, you know, there's some phenomenal talent on that show, but the reason people get invested in some of that great talent is because of the backstory and because of the profiles and because NBC does, does such a phenomenal job of making you root for people you've never heard of before. And that would have been a great opportunity that, or that would have been an opportunity that I would have dove, you know, headfirst into. But we got cheerleader vignettes instead of character vignettes. But hey, that was by, by the way, West Britannica said that uh, in September of 1999, he ate at Pastamania. <laughs> and just for the record, this is the last super chat that we're going to do on this show. I, it was never my intent to do super chats on Strictly Business. So West Britannica, you got the last one. There you go. There you go. Um, I, I challenge you check out the XFL at some point because they are doing some new innovative concepts that I think are going to stick around from a TV broadcast presentation. They are, they have a live camera in the officiating room where any replay is deciding how a call is going to go. And they have the rules official mic'd up the entire time. So you, that's cool. You hear the thought process as to why a play is upheld or why it's being overturned. It's transparency that you don't get from the NFL. You don't get it from anyone. So I, I bet you that's a concept that sticks around and stays uh, and the NFL will pick that. And up. I think especially to, since it's just, and again, I'm not a hardcore, you know, NFL fan or any sports fan to, to be honest. Um, but when I do watch, <laughs> there's my cough button. Hold on. Sorry about that. Um, when I do watch, you know, even in the Super Bowl, just those, penalties and and 
they're controversial, right? And they're in, and in the NFL, it's kind of like behind the curtain. You don't really, you get to see everybody talking about stuff, but you know, they're under the they're under the hood of the camera and you don't really get to hear those conversations, but they're such an important part of the game. Huge part. And can sometimes affect the outcome of the game, even the Super Bowl. So it's, it, I think that's a really great innovation. Yeah. Dwayne, Dwayne's got a good idea what he's doing. Check that out if you haven't already. Let's go to story number three here, Eric. And again, a reminder, guys, if you're enjoying this, make sure you're subscribed. 83weeks.com, adfreeshows.com, 83 weeks right here on YouTube. You're going to get Strictly Business every single week. Uh, Story number three, uh, probably the biggest story we've been covering here on Strictly Business is the potential sale of WWE. And this past week, it was reported by Fortune that Vince McMahon is looking to get as much as $9 billion in a potential sale. And interestingly enough, in this article, they mention that one of the top names at the list of potential buyers was your dark horse pick from way back in the beginning of Eric Bischoff, which was Endeavor. And they mentioned that Endeavor would have to get into bed with somebody else, some other investors, in order to make something like that happen for a potential $9 billion purchase. They also mentioned investors from the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia. Uh, What do you think of this $9 billion potential evaluation here from Vince McMahon on WWE? Great marketing. Great marketing. You know, I'm, I'm not in the merger and acquisition business, so my opinion means absolutely nothing. Um, it's just an opinion, but again, like I said about press releases and anything that you hear, you read, um, or ends up in a press release, I guess that falls into the category of reading is at this point, nothing more than managing expectations and marketing. So I, I I really don't have any comment beyond that. It sounds like in recent weeks, there's been a lot of tempered expectations with Comcast and uh, Disney. We know is doing a ton of cost cutting. They're trying to cut billions right now, which does take some names potentially out of the running here of a potential purchase. Do you see that market closing up at all? Or is this just all hearsay and chatter until we get something definitive? I think it's all here. It's it's all Shakespeare. Everything you're reading and hearing is Shakespeare. Um, There could be somebody that comes out of the woodwork that none of us expected, or it could be an obvious choice. I'm sticking to my guns. I still believe, as I stated when I early on called it a dark horse pick of Endeavor, but I, I still like Endeavor and I still think that Vince McMahon's goal ultimately would be to take the company private and doing so with Endeavor kind of mitigates the need to raise that $9 billion, doesn't it? Because $9 billion assumes that you're buying out all the stock, including Vince McMahon's. And you could get a lot closer to a more realistic number if Vince McMahon is part of the equation. And I think a Vince McMahon-Endeavor combination and maybe there'll be a third party, third party venture capitalist in there or, or independent or private equity come into play. That could be, but I still, I'm sticking to my guns on Endeavor and Vince McMahon one way, shape or form. There was an interview with Nick Khan recently. I want to say it was about a week and a half ago where he really was sure to stress that it's very possible that a, a deal doesn't even happen in the first place. And that while they explore all these potential options that, 
people do have to understand that a, a very possible outcome is that a sale never actually goes down. Now that you've kind of seen this thing play out a little bit for a couple months now, does your gut still lean more towards there being a sale in the first place rather than there, there not being one? Well, again, I'm, 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 I'm sticking to my guns on, on Vince taking it private in one way, shape or form. I don't know what the combination of players will be to make that happen, but I, I don't consider that a sale. Um, maybe it is technically, I don't know. I'm not in the merger and acquisition business, Sure. but um, I, that's, that's where I see it going. I still, while a, a flat out sale where somebody else, <clears throat> excuse me, where somebody else, uh, some other entity, some other conglomerate, some other combination of private equity owns a hundred percent of WWE and Vince McMahon is just left with nothing other than a, you know, several billion dollars. I just don't see that happening. I still don't. Uh, Yeti master asks if Endeavor is already losing money on UFC, why would they have the need or desire to invest more into WWE as well? First of all, I don't know that Endeavor's losing money on UFC. This is the first time I've heard that. Now, it doesn't mean it's not true, by the way, because I don't follow it. I'm not tracking that type of thing. Um, the only thing I know about UFC is I enjoy watching it. And and I'm amazed at, at what Dana White and company have done with that franchise. It's a true American media success story and sports success story. But beyond that, I'm not tracking it. So let's just assume that Endeavor is losing money. I still still find that hard to believe, but let's assume it's true. Take it at face value. Even more of a reason, isn't it? And the reason I feel so strongly about Endeavor and have from the beginning is because of the parallels in the business units, the business models. You know, it's television, television rights. It's live event promotion and production. It's licensing and merchandising. How well is UFC doing in licensing and merchandising? I mean, and I mean that as a question because I don't know. My guess is probably not nearly as well as WWE. WWE is very sophisticated and very mature in certain business units that are very parallel to the UFC, where that, I, oh, God, I hate the term synergy because it's just, talk about a term that's like overused and abused. Synergy is like at the top of my list. But there is some really interesting op synergistic opportunities between WWE and UFC, and that may be a reason. If I'm looking at those two business models and I'm looking at the individual units within the models and I'm looking at what's performing and what's not, hey, if I make this acquisition, not only is this company I'm thinking about acquiring or investing in hugely successful from a financial point of view, in a way if you believe that UFC isn't making money or Endeavor isn't, um, this is a great way to shore that up and build, help build and, 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 and prop up some of those areas of the UFC business model that perhaps are underperforming. Now, I, th I, th I think if anything, it makes it even more compelling. Producer Steve noted to us in quarter three of last year, Endeavor posted $1.2 billion in revenue, but still experienced an overall net loss of $12.5 due to exchange rate headwinds. Hmm. hmm. Sounds like accounting to me, but okay. <laughs> accounting can be very misleading, brother. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
We'll leave it go with that. Let's let's create some synergy here from uh, MetaGamers. He says, what about Dwayne Johnson? In all his business ventures, maybe he could be a key investor in WWE. You never know. I mean, I, I don't know how much money Dwayne has, but at $20 million a film or whatever he's making, I'm sure he's stacked a couple nickels here in the last, you know, seven or eight or ten years. So who knows? And it's not only that, it's... It's not only how much money Dwayne has or doesn't have. Even if he had all of the money that he needed individually, what does Dwayne bring to the table? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the strategic value of a potential partner like Dwayne Johnson? Probably goes well beyond the financial opportunity that comes with him. And certainly if Dwayne was a part of a new ownership package that would take the company private, perhaps along with Endeavor, um, Dwayne brings a lot of a lot of value beyond an initial investment. 100% agree with that. Uh, Wes, who's been super, super active in the chat here, says, any thoughts on MLW's new TV deal on reels? It seems like they have a once-in-a-generation opportunity to really break out of the pack and distinguish themselves as a viable brand. I don't know how on the pulse of this you are here, Eric, but you know, reels, not not a name that you typically hear too much about in terms of getting into the acquisition business with properties like MLW or pro wrestling for that matter. Don't know enough about it to, to comment. I, I, I don't like commenting on things I know nothing about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can speak from my understanding of, of MLW. I, I don't think MLW is anywhere close to being a major player in pro wrestling right now. It's a, a well-produced product with good talent but it's still pretty low on the pecking order so i I wouldn't expect it to really be much of a game changer uh, at the end of the day here in what we see in the wrestling stratosphere but thank you for the question about that Uh, eric there was actually something that you sent my way that you wanted to discuss and that was about what we are seeing with attendance in wwe and AEW, specifically here uh, that WrestleNomics has been tracking. And uh, essentially, it's that WWE attendance has been up and AEW attendance has been down in terms of comparisons for the year so far. Uh, your initial reactions to that as we begin to pull up some of the numbers here and have a further discussion. Yeah, it's an interesting thing to track. I, I admit that I, I like that kind of data and, and I think WrestleNomics does a great job um, tracking that data, and presenting it for the most part, except for when it comes to ratings and make that way more complicated than it needs to be. But um, here, here's, here's the disadvantage that WWE has. They've been touring forever, right? WWE coming to your town is not news. It's not the first time. It's not even the second time. It may be the 222nd time in the last 30 years. And that's a disadvantage. You know, every time you go into a market, you've got to leave that audience going, wow, I can't wait to come back. Or at the very least, wow, I'm really glad I came. It's, it gets harder and harder to do the more often you visit. Now, let me give you an example. <clears throat> Stevie Nicks. You know, I'm seriously contemplating jumping on a plane and flying somewhere to see Stevie Nicks in concert. Now, I've seen Stevie Nicks before. I don't get to see her very often. And she's one of those, in my mind, legends, musicians that, you know, I think is 
20 years from now, 40 years from now, we're going to look back and go, wow, she was even better than we thought she was. But if Stevie Nicks came to Cody, you know, four times a year, I'd probably go once. I may even go twice. That'd be about it. I've never done that. So it's harder for WWE, in my opinion, to continue to grow their live event business unless they do something very unique or they've got an exceptionally hot product. <clears throat> Conversely, AEW is, they're in the honeymoon stage when it comes to live events because AEW coming to your hometown for the very first time, this is a new thing. You've not had a chance to experience it before in person. You've been watching it on television. Now you get to be a part of the show. And that's another big thing. And it's not exclusive, I think, to the professional wrestling category. You know, a lot of fans show up and, and want to, you know, be a part of the audience. Um, it gets a little more difficult when there's 20,000 of them there because you don't get a shot. to. That's why they have kiss cams and all that stuff, right? And I think with wrestling, it's a little bit different. Because wrestling is so much a part of the show. They are the, they are the, let's see, one, two, three, in a regular match where you've got two combatants and a referee, they're the fourth person in the ring. They're the fourth character on the show is the audience. And people want, it's like being at a party. And there's a really good chance if you get your seats early, you're going to be a part of that show and you're going to be on camera. People love that. <coughs> and a good, <coughs> and a good producer will exploit the hell out of that and spend as much time on, on crowd shots as possible, partly to communicate to the viewing audience that these people are having fun. This is a good product for you to watch. You're justified sitting back and watching the show for two hours or three hours, whatever it is. But it also encourages people to show up and because they want to be on camera. They want to be a part of the show. Even if they're not on camera, they get the chant. They get to carry signs. In some cases, um, they're there, they're, they're at the party. And I think AEW has a distinct advantage in the fact that they are the new kid in town. So they're going to do better the first time they come to a market generally. Um, by the time they've been there three, four times, which I don't think has happened too often in AEW's case because they are so new and effectively, at least as of now, they're not a touring company. They're a television company that tours occasionally in, in, now, I, I understand. I don't know what's true or not true. I don't follow it. Um, Tony's you know, made the statement that he wants to expand the live event portion of his business, which I think is a smart thing to do for a lot of reasons. They are introducing house shows. And, and I, I, I applaud them for that. I think that's a smart move for a couple of different reasons, primarily. Um, but the fact that AEW is down year over year when they're so new is not a good sign. It tells me that it's much like a premiere of a show. You know, when AEW premiered, it opened up to what, 1.5 million viewers? <clears throat> and now if they crack a million, people are looking for bottles of champagne to pass around. You know, WWE SmackDown, you know, when I was there, premiere episode to 3.8 million viewers or 3.9, whatever the number was. Now they're hovering around that 2.2, 2.5. People came. They experienced, they made a decision, and some came back and some didn't. I think in AEW's case, because they are so new, the fact that they're down year over year is not a good indication. 
by the way, I'm sure this is the real Stevie Nicks that we have in here. It says, I can't believe you wouldn't come to all my concerts in Cody, Eric. Cheapskate. I'm sure that was the real one uh, laying down the opinions there. And uh, uh, another one, new added to me, it says, I equate it to a concert also. Go see the favorite band as it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. They come into town again. Might not go as I've already seen them. And I think that speaks to the importance of having a, a hot product that people are going to want to pay to see. Uh, it was just a few weeks ago they announced that uh, Cody was being added to a few house shows and some of those shows sold out like that just because of Cody being announced. And he's, a and that's guy. another you know big advantage that wrestling has when it comes to touring is you've got, hopefully you've got a turnover in talent in key spots that even though WWE may have come to, you know, Cody Wyoming last year, but Cody wasn't on the roster last year. This year he is. Yeah, even though I went last year and it was okay, I'm going this year because, you know, Cody's hot. You know, that's, that is an advantage that wrestling has over other touring forms of touring. All right, Eric, let's talk about this as our last hot topic. That's Sami Zayn. Kind of been the talking point of the entire wrestling world this past week. Super, super hot crowd in Montreal for the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view WWE did very big business for this pay-per-view. They broke their all-time gate and viewership records for Elimination Chamber. Of course, Montreal being where Sami Zayn is from. He was in the main event against Roman Reigns. Sami Zayn has been WWE's top rating straw in the last couple of months. All of his segments are popping the biggest numbers on WWE television. And uh, instead of maybe giving it a shot and seeing what he could do as world champion... Uh, they decided to stay on the course and go with Roman Reigns and Cody for WrestleMania. Uh, this has been pretty divisive amongst a lot of fans. Some fans giving them credit for sticking the path and investing in Cody. Others saying the moment's there. It was the right crowd, the right place. You should have done it. What's your take? I think they should stick to their plan. And, and I, you know, I, I, I'll take exception to some of the things you said early on. Sami Zayn has been the top draw. Now, the bloodline storyline has been the top draw. And, and everybody, in it, not the least of which would be Roman Reigns, has been the bloodline storyline has been the top draw. I think it's a reflection of ignorance to pick out one person within that entourage of people that are involved in that story and assign all of that success to one individual. I get the emotion of it. Part of me feels the same way. The emotional part of me can feel the same way for a moment or two. But the business side of me kind of breaks it down a little bit differently. And beyond that, and this is kind of getting into the ether almost instead of the weeds. But if I'm Sami Zayn and somebody would have come to me at Elimination Chamber and says, Sammy, this crowd, these people in my, and by the way, the, the crowd of Montreal may not be the same crowd as Los Angeles, okay? So you can't take one night, one event, and say, this is what's true around the world, especially in Montreal, because Montreal historically has been a super hot wrestling crowd for anybody. Now take somebody from Montreal, what do you think you're going to get in, as far as a product on television or pay-per-view, right? or premium live event, as the case may be. Um, so I, I think to take that emotional knee-jerk reaction 
to what is really an isolated situation in terms of Montreal and say, oh, based on that reaction he got from the crowd. And, you know, again, I will not assign the success of the ratings to any one individual, not even Roman Reigns, um, even though he's been being pushed forever and is the top draw in the industry. Um, I'm just not going to assign the rating success to one individual. I think that's, that, that is a reflection of ignorance. Well, can I push back on that real quick? Sure. Go ahead, man. So the bloodline story has been going for going on almost three years now, all things considered. And none of those segments were doing the numbers and providing an uptick in viewership until what we saw with this Sami Zayn character arc starting to climax uh, around leading up to Royal Rumble and then post Royal Rumble. I mean, we we talked about it just a couple of weeks ago. We saw those numbers go up for the Sami Roman confrontation. That's not me taking anything away from Roman Reigns, but there is somewhat tangible evidence in my opinion that we saw what the control was for the bloodline and they weren't losing numbers. They're always the strongest parts of the programming in terms of viewership consistently segment by segment breakdowns. But it is tangible that we can see once this Sami Zayn story got hot, it started going up and up and up and up. Don't you think some of that has to do? Of course, some of it, but it's the story that's driving it. And obviously Sami Zayn is critical to that story. He Mm -hmm. is the reason in in the Sami Zayn story within the context of the bloodline storyline absolutely should be pointed to as a success story, but take it to the next level. Take Sami Zayn out of the bloodline storyline. Do you think Sami Zayn would have been having that success? Not up to this point, but I think now we have to find out, will he have it afterwards? Yeah. you going to risk that? No. And here's, here's where I was starting to, I wouldn't anyway. Yeah. Here's, here's where I was starting to go. And I distracted myself. If I was Sami Zayn and somebody would have come up to me Saturday afternoon and said, okay, we were going to go, we're going to have you lose and we're going to take you in this direction. But because this Montreal crowd loves you so much, we're going to, we're going to put the title on you. Or we're going to, we're going to, we're going to let you win this. I would have said, no, I don't want that. If I'm Sami Zayn, I don't want that. The value, the money, the future, the success is in the chase. Once you get it, it's over. Now, what do you do? Now you're going to get a run and eventually somebody, here's your next big move. You're going to get beat. No, damn it. I would much rather be in a position of chasing that title with a great story than getting that title in a relatively short story. Mm-hmm. Short stories don't last. And Sammy's participation in the bloodline was a relatively short element of that story, as you just pointed out. If I'm Sammy Zayn, if I'm looking at my future, I want to be the underdog for as long as I can be the underdog. Once I'm, once I've got that, title in that championship i'm no longer the underdog baby faces want to be the underdog mm-hmm. you know putting putting the title on a super hot baby face only works if you've got a plethora of super hot heels to chase him i would much rather it's hard to be a baby face nowadays it's really hard to be a good baby face a successful baby face i would much rather be chasing that title 
and have having the champion avoiding me, cheating to win, running, hiding, lying, cheating, doing whatever to stay out of my grasp. Because as long as I have the audience behind me and the audience wants me to win like they do right now, that's where my money is. Mm -hmm. That's where my future is. That's where the merchandise is going to be. Anything else is going to be relatively speaking short term. Just for the record, I'm in complete agreement with you. I'm all about riding Cody here. I think Cody's the guy. That's the one you've attached the rocket to from the moment he returned at WrestleMania last year. The injury, you know, changed that path just a little bit. I'm not about, especially when Roman has had such a historic reign, 900 days. I think if you were to make a significant shift in your story on short notice like that, you are risking uh, potentially hemorrhaging the true payoff of the story that you've had planned. But I am willing to hear that argument that this was a super hot hand and maybe, maybe it's something that would have been worth well, I, and, and John, I don't, I want to be sure because sometimes I get so passionate about my opinions that um, it comes off sometimes a little too strong. I completely understand why people feel the way they feel. There's a part of me that wants Sammy, wanted Sammy to win it too. But again, from a business perspective, like I said, if I was Sami Zayn and somebody would have said, hey, what do you think? We might we may have you beat Roman tonight. I would have been the loudest voice in the room saying, absolutely no. Give me a shot to run at that championship. Make me the most valuable player in that story for the next six months or year. Put that, put let me fight for that opportunity for the next 12 months. Because my income is going to go through the freaking roof. My merchandise is going to fly off the shelf, providing there's a good story behind it, obviously. And assuming what we've seen as of late, I think that's a safe assumption. And let's not. But just to, just to you know, oh, man, did you see that reaction? Let's put it on. <laughs> let's no. not pretend that Cody is some schlup either. You know, this is a no, guy. And that's, here's the other thing. I want to go back to Cody because you brought it up. You know. You look at, you know, Cody Rhodes coming back, you know, last WrestleMania. Are you kidding me? That match with Seth Rollins, uh, everything that about it. Cody was the hottest thing going at that moment. Now he got injured. And yes, that caused a change in plans. It did not hurt Cody Rhodes at all. In fact, from a psychological point of view, wrestling psychology point of view, audience management point of view, it almost makes it more interesting. Because now he's not only coming back as he did last WrestleMania, now he's been faced with adversity. Coming back from to WrestleMania last year was Act One. Act Two is he got hurt, seriously hurt, visually. We could all see it. We could almost feel it. It was so ugly. That's adversity. That's that's now our baby face. The people we're cheering for, we're rooting for, we want to see our baby face reach his or her goal is now faced with an adversity that nobody saw coming, including him. That makes the story more interesting. It can. And in this case, I think it does. They haven't exploited it. They haven't really driven that part of the story home, but it's there consciously or subconsciously. So I don't think the injury actually slowed him down. Think of it this way. What if he, what if, let's just do a what if. I got to get a drink of water. By the way, I got a severe sinus infection as a result of some allergies I got down in Florida last week. So I apologize for hacking, bagging my way through this podcast. I feel so bad for you. You've had it rough this winter. 
I know. I've always had it. I've always been allergies have always been something that's gotten a hold of me, but the eighties, you know, did some damage to my sinuses. So every once in a while, those allergies have a little bit more impact. Um, where was I? Do you remember? I don't. You were about. To- oh, we were doing a what if. Yeah, what, what if? <laughs> what if Cody Rhodes hadn't gotten hurt? Would we still feel the same way about Cody that we do today? Would Cody have been handled? Now, this is pre, pre you know, Vince McMahon walking away. When did it happen in July? It happened over the summer. All right. Would creative have sufficiently built Cody Rhodes so that he was even hotter this WrestleMania than he was last WrestleMania? Or would, or would we have seen Cody perhaps have to stagger through some less than compelling story, which would have taken some of the polish off of him? He's got 100% of his polish that he came with last WrestleMania, and I would suggest, Your Honor, that perhaps – He's even more polished now because of the having to overcome adversity. And now we're, he's come back. He's been seriously hurt, facing adversity, uphill climb. And now he's got a personal issue to help him get to that next level of, of passion for his fans. I don't know. I think he's hotter now than he was last WrestleMania. But I, we'll see. You know, I agree. That's what makes this fun. The reason that wrestling is such a beautiful art form when it comes to entertainment, as Triple H said, I don't, I don't want to rip him off, in his press conference after Elimination Chamber, you know, when wrestling is done well, there is not a more entertaining form of, of entertainment when it's done well. And I think it's being done so well right now that I wouldn't second guess myself or allow anybody else to second guess me if I was in a position to continue to manage that story, especially, you know, dirt sheet writers and, and people like that, because it's, they're just wrestling fans like everybody else. It's about the business of the wrestling business. It's not about the emotion of the wrestling business. And emotion is a big part of it. Emotion is a big part of the story. Emotion is at the core of, 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 any form of entertainment being successful is your ability to create compelling and genuine emotion. But so far, nothing's indicated to me that Cody Rhodes has lost a step. I think there's some pressure on Cody. When, when, when Roman came out on top at Elimination Chamber, one of the first things I thought about, I was by myself, one of the first things I thought about is, hmm, this could put some pressure on Cody. Sami Zayn has put some real pressure on Cody. And even though I don't know Cody well personally, I've known him since he was a little kid and, and we stay remotely in touch, you know, texts and things like that. But I don't know him. You know, I don't really know him like Diamond Dallas Page does or other people do. But what I see of him, I don't think he's going to look at this as, I think he's going to look at it as a challenge and I think he's going to embrace it. And I think he's going to take this pressure that Sami Zayn and the audience is putting on him. And I think it's just going to be rocket fuel for him. Dude, this is the guy that had the balls to try to take it to Vince. And that's something, you know, firsthand, it it takes a lot of chutzpah. And I don't think he's going to back away from a challenge. Not at all. Not you think, you think Cody went home you know, night after elimination, you're watching it. I don't think he was even there, was he? Um, 
Hold on. Thank God for cough buttons. <laughs> I don't think after that was all over, Cody, you know, looked at Brandy and said, oh, oh man, <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Uh-uh. I think it went the other way. I agree. I think it's nothing but fuel for his fire and Cody's got fire. That he does. You mentioned it's all about the business of the business. That's what strictly business is all hey, about. Before we go here, John, I know we're going to bail here shortly. We've sure. been going for more than an hour, but let's, uh, we've got a lot of questions here and I, I want to really support our sure. fans. Sure. So let's just go through them real quick. Let's, let's get, uh, let's get to some of these here. Uh, Jeffrey says, but doesn't the exact thing happen to Cody when he wins at WrestleMania? The chase is better than the win. So you're saying how it's all about investing in that chase. And once you get the win, where do you go? He's saying, couldn't that happen with Cody too? I'm not sure I understand. Help me. So out you, you were saying that with Sammy, the investment is in the chase. And then once you win the title, then what, where, where does Sammy go from there? So he's saying, couldn't that same exact premise apply to Cody? Yes, it could. It very well could. It very well could. And it all depends on the story. Just like his, it, look, if things would have been different and somebody would have made the decision to have Sammy come out on top at Elimination Chamber and have Sammy come out top at WrestleMania, the same thing would be true because they're both baby faces. They're both vulnerable to that same wrestling psychology dynamic that has historically told us that baby faces chasing for the title is where the money is historically. There's been exceptions. Don't get me wrong. I'm well aware of it. All of you wrestling historians out there, but generally speaking, um, it's the baby face chasing the title. That's where the money is, but the, yes, it could be. And this is where creative matters. You know, what do they do once they put Cody there? What do they do with them? It's going to be an interesting story, but look, there's some hot heels now. I don't, I don't want a fantasy book. I, I just don't want to look beyond WrestleMania for my own entertainment purposes. I want to enjoy this moment or these moments that lead up to it. But it, no doubt, man, is there's going to be pressure on Cody and pressure on WWE creative. I, I just want to say, too, like WWE having two white hot heel, uh, white hot baby faces in Sami Zayn and Cody, that is a damn good problem to have. Oh, give me that problem <laughs> all day long, brother. Please make my life miserable that way. Make me sweat rocks at night. Make me bang my head on hard, (laughs) sharp objects, some of them rusty, because I've got this problem and I can't figure it out. Yeah, give me that all day long. Very few companies have one hot baby face, let alone two. So uh, that that is a good problem. And uh, this is a really good point here, too, from uh, the Landlord Harassment Channel. Uh, Do you think Jey Uso has main event potential? I think, Eric, Jey Uso has been one of the secret sauces to this story and just how good he's been and with his actions and his facials and that really intriguing element of where does the bloodline story go? Conrad Thompson and I were just talking about this this morning because we basically touched on the same subject. Jay Uso, and this Conrad pointed this out to me, you know, whenever there was conversation about Jay Uso, it was, oh yeah, he's Rikishi's, you know, relative and got a bunch of DUIs and he was just dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. He's there. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, now look at him. And it's another reason why I think it's so hard to point to one person in this bloodline storyline as the reason, because I think Jay Uso has a lot to do with it as well. That's been an important piece of fabric or, or, or thread within that fabric 
of that storyline is the Jey Uso story. If you would have asked me that question six months ago, I would have kind of looked at you like a confused puppy. But now I think absolutely not yet. I wouldn't do it now. Let the audience want it for him. Let him grow. You know, he he's like Sammy in many respects. Jey Uso has emerged almost as a different person, a different character. It's the same character. It's the same person but he doesn't feel like the same character or the same person. He's finding it. Oh God, this is going to sound so cornball. Please excuse me, but he's finding his wings, man. He's like that, like that bird and you know, like an Eagle in the nest, you know, wants to get out and fly, but it just keeps flopping around until one day it flops around and it falls out of the nest. And all of a sudden goes, Ooh, this is fun stuff. And the next thing you know, that thing's cruising around about 3000 feet picking, you know, rodents up off the ground at 300 miles an hour you know give him some time but again same you're making my point you know with that question and, and yeah jay uso i think can be probably will be at some point the guy at the very top of the roster but not yet that whole bloodline story began with jay uso too there you go another reason why dave Meltzer has his head up his ass just another reason why uh, Amir asked, Eric, what do you think about the idea of having two matches, Roman versus Cody for one belt and Roman versus Sammy for the other? I, personally, I hate this idea. I don't, I've seen this has been very popular among the chatter of one match, one night, one match for the other. I don't know, man. I, w- I don't know about beating Roman twice in a row like that and splitting the belts. How do you feel? Mm-mm. There's a better way to do it. I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but there, there I, I understand why. I understand why people would go to that because in a sense, it's kind of logical. You know, you got two different belts, you got two different baby faces, one heel. I'm some kind of paper, not the paper you would find in a writer's room, but on some kind of paper, that kind of makes sense on paper. But from the business perspective and a wrestling psychology perspective, that'd be a bad move. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And let's get this last question from David Kelly, who was there right at the start of this broadcast. How do you end the bloodline story to benefit all the guys moving forward? Say that again, please. How do you end the bloodline story to benefit all guys moving forward? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't sit here and figure it out just talking to you, but you got a whole bunch of people that are over. You've got a ton of backstory. There is so much opportunity as a result of the bloodline story that I would imagine if you sit three or four experienced, talented people in a room, you could probably come out of that room within six or eight hours with three really good ideas. Here's the one thing that I'll say about that. And I think you'll appreciate this because you love good full circle storytelling. The bloodline story started with Roman on his own and he acquired all these people throughout the course of the process. Jay Uso, then Jimmy Uso, then Solo Sokoa, then Sami Zayn, Paul Heyman. I think this story has to end where Roman has lost all his family. He gaslit them the entire way to use them for his advantage. And whenever this story ends, I think it has to end with his family not being there for Roman because he has pushed them away and lost them all. We, you, you are muted. <laughs> Sorry, I, I defeated my microphone. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Roman walks out of that story. He's lost his family. He's lost everything around him. He packs up his bags. 
He walks out of that arena like a man who has lost his soul. As he's walking out of the arena for what people think is the last time, he looks over the shoulder. The camera catches just a glimpse of a tear in his eye because he realizes for the first time that he fucked up. And he goes away and makes a movie, maybe two, and realizes, boy, did I mess up. I have to atone for my sin. Yep. I have to come back and I have to do right by the very people that I, that I wronged. Mm-hmm. And then it's an uphill battle for the next 12 months. You see, gradually, very gradually, painfully to himself, wins back the hearts and minds of the very people that he betrayed. Wow. And then you got mega baby face Roman Reigns. There you go. <laughs> this stuff isn't hard. Anybody I'm can do up, it. Man. I'm ready to do this. Let's make some calls. We'll be booking TV every Wednesday night. What do you know? No, no, no. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be anywhere that shit try show. To sneak that in there beside you. Hey, this is great stuff, Eric. Appreciate you. Tune into Strictly Business every single week, guys. 83weeks.com, adfreeshows.com. Subscribe. Give us that five stars. Tell everyone that you love. Eric Bischoff and Strictly Business. Anything else you want to add, my friend? Well, they can love you too, John Alba. There's two of us here, brother. We're good. Share the love all the way around. Come on. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. We'll see you next week. See you next week, guys, right here on Strictly Business. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.